0: Um, I'll encourage you to grab a Bible if you brought one, and you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, to begin, I, I want you to imagine a scenario with me. So this is not real. This is made up. So just use your imagination. But imagine that there was a man who ran a very successful company uh, in town here. Let's call it Jimmy John's Valves, Okay. And so he sold valves to the, to the oil patch and, and did so for years. You know, Jimmy John himself, great businessman, very successful company, but it came to the point where he was ready to sell. And he just said, you know, I've, I'm done working, I think I can retire, I'm going to sell my business, and um, then he has a buyer lined up, this, this young person who wants to take over the business, and it looks like everything's kind of lined up and ready to go, and they agree that it's going to be... Uh, the, the, the buyer's going to buy it over time, right? He's going to kind of initially invest, but then over time, uh, he'll, he'll buy the company. So essentially, for a little bit, these two men are, are business partners. As, as Jimmy John, right, hands over more of his business to Chuck or whatever, uh, uh, and over time, right, he's going to release more of the business and, and, and it'll be bought over time. So this, you know, handshake, it's good, we're going to do this, agreement. And not long after that, the biggest customer of Jimmy John's Valves goes to a different company, says, you know what, we've loved you, for, but we're going to go over here to this other company now. And that customer made up maybe like 40% of this company's business. So, I mean, this is a huge hit. So you can imagine that the buyer of this company is going, man, I just bought this company and now 40% of our business is going somewhere else. And he goes, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And to make matters worse, maybe there's some indication that the seller of Jimmy John's valves knew this going into it. He knew that this customer was going to leave, and so he wanted out. Maybe there were some emails that are incriminating that went, look, man, you, you sold me out, and I bought this company, and you knew that the biggest customer was going to leave. So the buyer says, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not buying your company. And the seller goes, no, 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 no. We had an agreement. You have to buy it. So what do they do, right? They lawyer up, don't they? I'm going to take you to court because you said that you were going to buy the company. Well, no, I'm taking you to court because you you uh, withheld information from me. So they lawyer up and they go to court. So imagine both these men went to the same church. Like as a pastor, what what should I say to these people? Good luck in court. <laughs> what do we do? Right? What do we do about a situation like that where you go, two brothers in Christ are are going to court over this business deal? This is essentially what 1 Corinthians 6 is about. Now, to be fair, we don't know the, the details. It wasn't Paul's not Jimmy John's valve, obviously not. We don't know the specific details, but in 1 Corinthians 6, we're reading about two People in the church in Corinth who are at odds with each other and there's some, bin, some shady business going on. And, and one is dragging the other one to court. Suing them, right? Lawyering up. We're going to settle this in court and you're going to pay. So Paul addresses um, lawsuits among believers in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, what should we do as followers of Jesus, as a church, in these kinds of situations? Do we take sides? Is there ever an okay time where you should drag a fellow Christian to court? So what Paul's going to do in the first 11 verses of, of 1 Corinthians 6 is give us four reasons why Christians should not sue other Christians. Four reasons why. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Um, again, the, the way it's worded is Paul is shocked yet again of what's going on in the Corinthian church. If you remember last week in in chapter 5, Paul says it's actually reported that there's this kind of sexual immorality going on, indicating that Paul can't believe what he's hearing, that a man was sleeping with his mother or, or father, his father's wife. He goes, I can't believe that's happening. And, and it's worded that, uh, similarly, he says, uh, that you would dare go to the law courts. He's going, I can't believe that this is happening. He's astonished, right, that these Christians are suing each other, dragging each other to court. Now, part of the difficulty for us as North American Christians is we, we just don't see that as a big deal. People go to court all the time for everything, right? My McDonald's coffee's too hot, I'm going to sue. Right, even it's like idiot. Like, don't drink it so fast. Well, it's not my right. We just we're just used to we sue and we go to court over everything, so we would go. Why is Paul so bent out of shape? Who cares? Court stuff happens all the time, right? And oftentimes it's like get a lawyer, sue somebody, and then get the justice that you deserve. And Paul is saying, I cannot believe that you Christians are doing this. Um, The wording when when he calls it a grievance that you have a grievance in verse one. That literally means a lawsuit. So it's not as if they're just, oh, they had this disagreement. It's a lawsuit. It's this dispute that's being taken to the courts. And Paul seems to be talking about the context in, in chapter 6 is disputes related to property or, or money. Um, so civil lawsuits. Um, the reason we know this is that later on, Paul talks about the, 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 the grievance that they had has to do with defrauding each other uh, for, for money, that someone was not honest and defrauded someone out of money. So we're talking about civil lawsuits. This is really, really important for us to get. Paul is not talking about criminal cases. Right? You, we have to get that because unfortunately, there are churches and there will be churches that, that have uh, sexual abuse go on or, or terrible criminal activity and they go, I think we can handle this as a church. No, call the police. If it's a criminal case, that person should go to jail. Right? That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about cases of you know, murder or sexual abuse or things like that. Uh, Paul very specifically in Romans 13 says, the state exists to punish wrongdoers. So if, if a criminal case happens in the church, call the police, okay? So I don't want you to hear, you know, oh, the church can deal with any kind of case. No, 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 no. Paul says the state exists for those types of things, but he's talking about civil cases. Someone defrauded me, that guy owes me money, that guy stole my property, those kinds of issues. So here's how the legal system worked in uh, first century Rome um, civil law was quite the gong show, and some of you maybe are like, it hasn't changed. Um, the criminal law in the Roman system, it was, it was relatively objective, criminal law was relatively objective, but civil law, it was actually, judges were expected to receive some kind of payment for a favorable verdict. There was just corruption. It was just part of the system. You're going to court. Whoever's got the most money just buys the judge. That was just expected in the Roman system. Um, A few quotes. Chrysostom said, in Corinth, there were lawyers, innumerable, perverting justice. Uh, Cicero said, the courts will never convict any man, however guilty, if only he has money. And uh, Apuleius said, judges are gowned vultures, (laughs) All our judges nowadays sell their judgments for money. Um, And it's not as if this was like, it was just expected. People just knew that that's how the system works. Judges are open to bribes. And so meaning they were very biased towards the rich and powerful. If you had money, you could just get away with stuff. A person of high status was very quick to settle disputes in court because they had the upper hand. And they could deal massive injuries to their uh, opponents. And lower classes were very unlikely to win because the odds were stacked against them. If a rich person dragged you to court and it's whoever could give the judge the most money, the lower classes, I mean, the odds are stacked against you. You will never win. And the law in that day favored creditors over debtors. It favored landlords over tenants. It favored the rich over the poor. Um, even in, in the book of James in the Bible, James 2, James says this, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? That's what they did. If you were rich, you just dragged people into court to settle all of your problems. And the aim of the ancient civil lawsuit was not necessarily to get justice, it was to destroy your opponent. I want to destroy their lives, destroy their character, defame them, and that is me winning in court. You were contending for your honor in the law courts, and you received honor by beating your rival down. So it really had little to do with justice. So think about then what is happening in the Corinthian church. One church member is suing another for defrauding them and dragging them to court to take them down. I am going to destroy you in court. They're at each other's throats, and they're using the pagan law system that is corrupt to accomplish this. So Paul says, why are you going to the unrighteous instead of the saints? So what Paul's going to do in this whole section in chapter 6, he's saying this should not be happening. Christians should not be suing other Christians and dragging them to the court systems of the world. And so you and I would probably ask, well, why not, Paul? So reason number one, why shouldn't Christians sue each other because the church can actually handle these disputes? Um, Paul says this, he goes on in verse two, "Or, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So Paul says in verse 1, I can't believe that you are dragging each other to court, to the, to the courts of the world. And his first point is, guys, don't you realize that one day as followers of Jesus, you're going to judge alongside Jesus. You're going to judge angels. You're going to judge the world. And you guys can't handle a little dispute about money so Paul, Paul doesn't tell us precisely how you and I, followers of Jesus, are going to participate in judgment, and that's actually not the point, right? A, a lot of people spend time going, what exactly is that going to look like? Who am I going to judge? How am I going to judge? That's not Paul's point. His whole point is, okay, one day that's going to happen, right? And uh, Daniel 7... Matthew 19, Luke 22, Revelation 3 mentions the fact that in some way believers will judge the world alongside Jesus. We're not actually told how or in what way, but in some way we will. And so Paul's whole point in saying that is if that's your future as a follower of Jesus, if you're gonna participate in judging the world one day, surely. Surely you should be able to handle civil lawsuits among yourselves. Surely, right, as Christians, you have the moral and intellectual capacity to settle disputes. Um, Paul goes on in verse 4, so if, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Right? Paul says, why, if you have these disputes going on and that guy owes me money, why are you going to the pagan courts to settle that? Right? like Verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Um, that's kind of a, 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 an insult, <laughs> right? Because what did the Corinthians pride themselves in? Their wisdom, And Paul says, surely there's nobody wise enough, guys, to settle civil disputes among each other? But no, right? He continues in verse 6. No, brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Um, So Paul is saying, okay, You should not, as a Christian, sue another Christian because the church, as brothers and sisters, we should be able to handle these kind of disputes. Having lawsuits at all among believers shows that they were actually still thinking worldly. My priority tends to be warped towards the values of this age rather than the values of the age to come. So Paul's whole first point is, no, don't drag each other to court. You, you are actually able and equipped to handle disputes. There's got to be someone wise enough among you who can help sort this out. Right, and so I think Paul's saying, well, you need to handle it in a wise and godly manner. You need to exercise church discipline if necessary. You need to handle it under the wise counsel of mature Christians who can give clear, objective, biblical advice. You should not, your first instinct as a follower of Jesus, when there's a dispute with another Christian, your first instinct shouldn't be, I gotta get a lawyer. I gotta drag him to court. Your first instinct should be, surely there's someone among the believers who can help us sort this out. There's got to be, right? And And so you bring in wise, godly advice. Okay, what happened, right? Well, this guy owes me money and he didn't pay. And then if needed, the church steps in and church discipline happens. And Paul's saying, you guys should be able to handle these things. Don't drag each other to court. Handle it among believers. So that's his first point. Secondly, why shouldn't Christians sue each other? Uh, Number two, because even if you win, it's still a loss. Uh, He says in verse seven, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So Paul, Paul says anytime Christians have lawsuits with each other, you've already lost. You you might drag a fellow believer to, to, to court and win, right? Jimmy John might get dragged to court, and the buyer of Jimmy John's vows might win. Yes, I won. Paul says, you actually lost. You both lost. To have a lawsuit at all between brothers and sisters in Christ, you've lost. It's a, it's a moral defeat for everyone involved. Because what it does is it tarnishes the church's reputation and it damages her witness. The church is meant to be a witness to the watching world of an alternative society that is constrained by God's love and a desire for brothers and sisters to seek the welfare and salvation of others. We're meant to be like an embassy of the kingdom of God in a different nation, right? We, we live amongst the kingdoms of this world, and the church is meant to be an embassy saying, hey, actually, there's a different way to do life. There's a better way to do life, right? Constrained by God's love and for welfare and justice for one another, we are a different way of doing life. And so Paul says, when you just drag each other to court, the church's reputation is damaged. And look at the alternative he gives, which if you're honest, I mean, you hate this. Paul says, why not just suffer wrong? Instead of dragging your brother and sister to court, why, why not just be defrauded? But instead, Paul says, you're just defrauding each other. So notice both people in the scenario are put on blast by Paul, he says, you guys are defrauding each other. So the one doing the defrauding, he's like, knock it off. Stop defrauding your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then secondly, stop suing each other, right? So both parties involved, Paul says, you're both wrong. Now, right away when we read verses like verse seven, where it says, Paul says, just, just suffer wrong. Why not? Why not suffer wrong? immediately you and and I have hundreds of why nots. I'll tell you why, Paul. Like, but, 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 all these buts, right? You don't know what he did. You don't know the damage he's done. You don't know how much money you owes me. You don't know how my reputation, and we go on and on. Paul, I'll tell you why. But like over and over in Scripture, we're told, instead of repaying sin with sin, right, when someone sins against you, instead of saying, well, I'm gonna get even, we're told in multiple places, actually don't do that, right? Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul's second point is if you Christians sue each other and you take each other to court to win, actually everybody loses, The church's reputation suffers and it damages our witness in the community. Because the community go, oh, you Christians are different? Really? No, you're not. You handle your disputes the same way we do, by suing each other. So as I prepared, I thought, does this actually happen? Right, is this like a, a... A fake scenario, or do do Christians actually do this? Do we drag each other to court? Do churches go to court? And yeah, it happens all the time. Um, There's a very well-known church in the States um, whose pastor is very popular. Uh, He's an author and a speaker, and they're going through uh, a lawsuit right now. Five members of their church are actually suing the church because they didn't like how a membership meeting and an elder vote went. So they said, I don't like how that membership meeting was handled, and I don't like the elders that got voted in, so we're taking you to court. And it's blown up in the media. This happened in 2021, so two years ago. And there's a lawsuit between these five church members— who claim to be Christians, and the entire church. And the lawyers give statements and they say, our clients believe that the proper procedures were not followed for this membership meeting and therefore blah, 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 blah. And you know what the world does? The world looks at that and just laughs. You Christians can't even do anything. You're just fighting with each other and you're suing your own church So listen, this this happens all the time. Whether it's between churches and other people or even just Christians. I mean, the the world that we live in is just, we'll just sue each other, take each other to the court, get justice, get payback, get even. So, So this happens lots. And what Paul's second point is, anytime this happens between believers, I don't care if you win in court, you've lost. Both sides have lost. Thirdly, As Christians, why shouldn't we sue each other? Paul will say, well, because we're called to live differently than the rest of the world. He says this in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God." So, Paul, he's listing 10 types of people, 10 sins, and his whole point is the unrighteous, those who do not follow Jesus, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, and his whole point is, and you guys are dragging each other to court in front of the unrighteous, in front of lost people who don't know Jesus, and so he lists these 10 types of people, right? The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers. Um, men who practice homosexuality is actually two types of people. It's two words that are used, and Paul is describing both the passive and the active participant in a homosexual relationship. They will not inherit the kingdom. Thieves, the greedy, drunkards, reviler, swindlers, all of those types of people, which is what the entire world lives like, right? The the lost people who don't follow Jesus, it's just like, well, what's the big deal if I get drunk? What's the big deal about homosexuality? What's the big deal if I sleep around and I'm sexually immoral? What's the big deal about all those things? Like, that's the world, Paul says. Those types of people will not inherit the kingdom. Now, again, much like last week, Paul is not saying, well, one time in college I got drunk, so I guess I'm out of the kingdom. He's not saying you are not allowed to sin, right? Because we all sin as we strive to follow Jesus. But there's a difference between a type of person who knows that they sin, right? I, can't, I, I have sinned against God, and I'm confessing it, and Jesus, help me repent of it, and I'm turning back to you. And someone who says, I'm a part of the, the, the church, and I don't care about sexual immorality. It doesn't bother me. I'll sleep around. Who cares? Who cares? Right Or someone who is just caught, their lives are marked by these things. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get drunk every weekend and claim to be a Christian. Paul would say, you don't inherit the kingdom if you live like that. So Paul's not describing people who just like occasionally fall into sin as they strive to follow Jesus. It's someone whose entire life is marked by these things. So this is another sign that the values of the surrounding culture were still deeply ingrained in many Corinthian Christians, and they were just going along quite comfortably with pagan society. It's like their behavior was just indistinguishable from the unbelieving world. And so what Paul is saying is you are are actually called to live differently. So when you have a grievance or someone defrauds you or someone owes you money and you drag them to court, you're behaving exactly like the world does. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why are you behaving like them? So don't sue each other because you're actually called to live different lives. Lastly, why shouldn't Christians sue each other? Paul says, because it's not who you are. Right? Verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So notice, Paul just listed a whole bunch of sinfulness, right? Idolaters, adulterers, greedy people. And he says, such were some of you. You used to be like that. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. When Paul says washed, he means that they have been spiritually cleansed by God, which is symbolized when we baptize people. I don't think that that when you are baptized, you are, are literally washed. You're symbolically washed because it's a work that the Spirit does. He washes you. Spiritually, he cleanses you. Sanctified means that you've been set apart as God's people. God's chosen you and he's set you apart. And justified is a legal term, means you've been declared righteous because of Jesus. Because of uh, Jesus' righteousness given to you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he says, you are justified. You are righteous because I see my son's righteousness. Notice that all of those things Paul describes, they're all in the past tense, He's like, this has happened. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. It's done. It's complete. God's changed you, right, in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. So Paul's whole point is now live like it. Live in a way that's consistent with your status before God. I think Paul seems so aggravated because the Corinthian Christians have so little self-understanding as to who they are in Christ. It's like they're just, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yet I'm going to live exactly like the world lives. And Paul says, it's actually not who you are anymore. This action of taking fellow believers to court, it destroys the community of faith before the watching world. So Paul says, you shouldn't sue each other because that's not who you are. You've been washed, sanctified, and justified. It's very similar to chapter 1. How did Paul start his whole letter right, and to a church that is majorly messed up? How did he start his whole letter? He started his whole letter by reminding them, Corinthian Christians, you are called, you are sanctified, you're saints, you're not lacking any spiritual gift. So it's important because Paul's not looking at them and just saying, hey, be better. He's saying, yes, stop sinning, but do that because of the truth of who you are. You're washed, sanctified, and justified. This is who you are. Now live like it. You're not living in the reality of who you are. So to summarize, should Christians sue each other and drag each other to court? And Paul would say, no. Because we can handle disputes as as fellow believers. Because even if you win in court, you you actually lose. Everybody loses in that scenario. Thirdly, we are called to actually live differently than the rest of the world. We don't do things the way that the world does. And then lastly, it's, it's not who you are. You are different now. So some of you, you're gonna go through experiences and probably some of you have where you are tempted to sue people. Where you're tempted that an injustice has been done, I'm gonna drag that person to court and I'm gonna just get every nickel from them. Um, In 36 years of life, I've actually had two experiences where I was tempted to do so. So it happens, right? It happens. Actually, when we started Corinthians, someone came to me and said, I'm actually in a scenario like that right now. And fellow Christian friends are telling me, yeah, sue, sue him, sue that person, get him. And Paul would say, actually, why, why not just be defrauded? Why not suffer wrong for the sake of the gospel? But here's, regardless of the scenario, right? You might not have ever experienced something like that where you go, oh, a lawsuit. I've, I've never, I live a simple life. <laughs> but so, regardless of that, listen, all of your obedience and all of your choices in life, they come back to the reality of who you already are in Jesus who Jesus has made you to be by the power of the Spirit, we often flip it upside down. We go, okay, I'm a Christian now, and now by my obedience, I'm earning my status, right? So uh, I'm gonna earn my washing and my sanctifying and my justifying. I'm gonna earn it by my obedience, and the gospel is the opposite. This is who you are. You're justified. You're cleansed. You're washed. Now in light of that, Live like it, right? So for all of our obedience, we are called to obey Jesus, but we obey because we've already been made into those things. You're called, Christian. You're chosen by God. You have been washed. You have been set apart. You have been justified. And in every instance where Paul tells the church, obey Jesus, he doesn't say, so that you earned your salvation. He says, no, because of it, Look at what Jesus has done. Now live like it. You're not living who you actually are. Live like this, church. So I want to encourage you because so often we feel so much pressure that I have to like perform in order to be washed and sanctified and cleansed and justified, and I have to, okay, and, and many of you will leave, and the danger is you'll leave going, okay, now if I ever step out of line then I'm not saved anymore, and I have to earn my salvation, and the, the opposite is what is true. You have been saved, right? Jesus has, has called you. He has sanctified you. He's washed you. He's justified you. Now, because of all of that that is true, now go and live differently. So should I, should I sue the person that's defrauding me? No. But it's because you're, you've been washed and you've been sanctified and just, and you're called to live differently. So you can see that the Scripture is so practical, <laughs> Uh, Many of you will deal with situations just like this where you go, what do I do? And so I would encourage you that you can handle these kind of disputes with wise believers. That you are called to live differently, that it's not who you are to, to behave like the world. And that you wouldn't believe the lie that, man, if I just win in court, I'll win. No, actually, everybody loses. And that our our churches would then become these embassies of a different way to do life. We can actually handle things differently than the world does. So, Jesus, I just thank you for um, how practical your word is. Um, It just gives us such good advice for living as your followers. And God, I think bottom line, I think what Paul is getting at is that the church is meant to live differently than the rest of the world, and what these Corinthian Christians were doing was claiming to be changed and different and new, and yet living exactly how the world lives. By by dragging each other to court and suing each other, it just showed that their identity wasn't in Jesus. Their identity was just like an average Corinthian. That's what we do. We just drag people to court and sue. And Father, if we're honest, I mean, the pressure is the same in our day and age. Uh, The pressure to kind of just go along with what the world does, and so God, I I just pray. One, I mean, if, if any of us are actually dealing with literally what this passage is talking about with lawsuits with other believers, God, would you forgive us for doing things the way the world does? Help us to know that we can actually handle disputes as brothers and sisters in Christ. That even if we win, it's actually a loss because the church's reputation is tarnished and damaged. Help us to live differently, that we would go to wise, godly counsel and that we would be able to handle these disputes and that a watching world would go, wow, they really do live differently. And then, God, in any area of obedience, not just lawsuits, but any area, God, I pray that our obedience would flow out of who we actually are already, that we wouldn't go, well, if, okay, if I obey, then I'm earning my washing, and I'm earning my justification, and I'm earning these things, and now my status is this before God because of my performance but that we would actually realize that the gospel is completely upside down, and actually, you already are those things. And so, our obedience comes out of wanting to live what Jesus has made us to be. And so, help us in, in all areas of obedience that that would be our, our worldview that we obey because we are forgiven, and justified, and set apart, and cleansed. So, God, help us to be an, an embassy for your kingdom that we would do life differently than the rest of the world and that people would long to have what we have in the church, Jesus. Just help us to live like this. And so I just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.